Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. I once cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. Helen Keller. There's an amazing story. But as I think about that statement, it makes me aware of how distorted our reality becomes because we get so accustomed to our surroundings. I think a statement like that helps us to take a step back and reevaluate what it is in life that we actually value. We live in the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth. And drill it down a little more, and of all the places that you could live in this nation, Southern California, Greater San Diego, Coronado, is a pretty nice place to live. And we're just a wee bit spoiled. And so if the weather's not just right, we complain. If things don't suit us in our particular appetites, we complain. And we're always mindful. We realize that there are those that have more than we have as we are aware that there are those that have less than we have. But I think we get a little skewed and spend too much time thinking of either the former or the latter without realizing the blessings that we have right where we are. Perspective. There are some bits of Scripture that, uh, frankly, I wish weren't there sometimes. There are times when... I would rather be sitting out in the pew and have one of you standing up here preaching on a particular passage of Scripture. And today might just be one of those days. If you have your Bibles, I would invite you to open them to the fifth <coughs> chapter <coughs> of James. <coughs> As I've said before, James is our midterm exam. James is very practical. He's down to earth. He calls it like it is. He wants people to be not merely hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. To do the word in both uh, word and deed, so that, that there's some consistency there. And he struggles because he, he doesn't see that happening within the community of faith. 
that there are people, even as far back as the first century, who were becoming followers of Christ in name only. And I can't help but think, as, as, as James is writing this to us, that he's thinking about the words of Jesus, where Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, but you don't bother to do what I command you to do? James wants us to understand that there is a wisdom that comes from above, and there is a wisdom that comes from below. James wants us to understand the competing authorities that vie for our attention and for our very heart and souls. External authorities that vie for our attention and our very heart and souls. The biggest one is culture. The culture we live in, boy, does it want us, lock, stock, and barrel. And that is an external authority, and it is, it is huge in our lives. But let us also not forget that the Word of God is also an external authority. And it's so good to have something outside of ourselves by which we can take a look at who we really are. It reflects who we really are so that we can do those deep dives asking God, are we becoming whom you have created us to be? Apart from God's word, we will never be able to discern that. And then there are the internal authorities that we battle. Our own conscience. And I don't know about you, but as I've said before, I'm pretty good at justifying whatever I want to do. That battles against the Holy Spirit. Who says to me, David, does that really what God would have you to do? James encourages us to submit ourselves to God, resist the devil, wash our hands, come near, purify our hearts, to humble ourselves, humble ourselves before the Lord. Last week we looked at this verse, anyone, anyone who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for them it is sin. And then we get into the fifth chapter. And this one hits pretty hard, folks. I would encourage you to buckle your seatbelts. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, and you have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocents, the innocent people who were not opposing you. Well, we can look at that and say, I mean, I'm not rich. This is for rich people. And who's James talking about when he's talking about these rich people? Is he talking to people in the church? Well, actually, he is talking about people in the church. Probably a very small percentage of people back in the day. Back in the day, the, the, the 
the rich were primarily the landowners. In the ancient, in the ancient world, wealth manifested itself in three different ways. Food. Grain, corn, which of course was produced by the land. That was a sign of wealth. You'll remember the shrewd uh, uh, servant who was going to get fired, and he, and he starts wheeling and dealing in food, commodities. That was a sign of wealth. Clothing, interestingly enough, was a sign of wealth in the ancient days. You'll, you'll remember uh, the story of, of Joseph and his brothers. Started off with what, you know, Joe had a coat of many colors. But fast forward, and, and uh, when he's in Egypt and ruling over Egypt, second only to Pharaoh, and, uh, and his brothers come to town, when he finally reveals himself to them, he gives each of them a set of clothing. But to his little brother, Benjamin, he gives much more clothing, wealth. It was measured in the clothes that you had. Even Samson, he said, if you figure out this riddle, I'll give you how many garments it was. So food, clothing. And the other measure of wealth was equipment. Equipment, you say, well, equipment. You had to have equipment in order to cultivate the land and to manufacture the clothing. So equipment was a fancy way of saying people, workers, slaves, sometimes free people that worked for you, whatever, didn't matter. For the wealthy, it was, a it was about having other people do the work and you just sat back and raked in the profits and lived a life of leisure. And if you forgot to pay somebody their wage, yeah, yeah, so, what, so what, big deal. And we like that. That's a great analogy. I, I can read that and say, well, you know what? I don't own lot, large, tracts of of, large tracts of land. Uh, well, I, I do have one or two suits and more ties than I need. I certainly don't, uh, I certainly don't uh, uh, exploit people, do I? So it's, it's easy to look at this and kind of step ourselves back from it and say, well, that was the rich back then, but we're, we're not really rich today. And of course we are. We are rich. We, we, we are wealthy. The, the, in, in the nations of the world, the United States, again, is the wealthiest nation in the world. There's an interesting uh, website I went on, uh, How Rich Am I?, and you, you, there's a little scale in there where you can play with numbers and kind of move them around. Uh, and if, are you ready for this? If you made $40,000 a year after taxes and donated 10% of that, so you only lived on $36,000 a year, you would still be in the top 10% of the world's wealth. And, and, and it's like, I make more than, I make more than $40,000 a year. I, I make a lot more than $40,000 a year. I don't like to think of myself as wealthy, but I am. 
I remember in, in seminary, we were, we were talking with a, a young couple that was living in our apartment complex, and, uh, uh, and he made the comment uh, that we were rich. And, and, and I'm, I looked at him like he had a hole in the head uh, because uh, here we were, and Jody was working full-time. I was working part-time. I'm going to school full-time. We've got two babies under feet. We're, 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 we're barely scratching by. And, and, and this guy is sitting here telling me that he's, that he's wealthy? That we're wealthy? And the answer is, yeah, we are. Do you realize that if you have a choice about what you eat at any given meal, if you have access to your own means of transportation, if you uh, have more than one pair of shoes, if you have more than one pair of underwear, you are in the top 10% of, of all the people who have ever lived in the world in, in terms of wealth. But see, our view of wealth is skewed, and it's skewed. You know when it changed? You know when this paradigm changed? When it was no longer the landowners who were the wealthy? You know, you know who, who's responsible for that? I'll give you a hint. It's a Scott. Adam Smith. Adam Smith. The wealth of nations. Adam Smith was the guy who figured out that wealth could be created. Prior to Adam Smith, the understanding was that wealth was a zero-sum game. There's only so much wealth out there. It's in, it's in garments, it's in, uh, it's in land, uh, and it's in, it's in people. That was it. It was a zero-sum zero game. Adam Smith comes along and says, no, 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 wealth can be created. Interestingly enough, back in the day, there was a small group of people who were the, 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 the merchants, the traders of the day, and, and they kind of were, they, there was this emerging middle class. They were kind of looked down upon by the wealthy of the day. Little did they know that that would be the class that would emerge, that would change everything. And everything has been changed for us today. Because we have the ability to create wealth. And we know that there are people out there who have created immense wealth. And as long as we can look at people who have created immense wealth, we can say, well, we're just getting by. I'm really not that wealthy. This doesn't apply to me. Because it doesn't apply to me. Today, the wealthy are the, uh, the, the business tycoons like, uh, uh, like Bill Gates or, or Warren Buffett or... Uh, 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 Elon Musk, uh, the, the, those are the, the people that have more money than they know what to do with. People that can, that can buy a ticket to go into space. Oh my gosh. That's just one. Music, uh, uh, art, uh, uh, entertainment. The, 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 um, I'll, I'll get there. No, you're, you're jumping ahead of me. You're jumping ahead of me. Let's talk about musicians. Let's talk about actors. Act, uh, people that, I mean, they think of themselves as, as royalty. I remember, I remember reading an article about one famous comedian who got out of his limousine and stepped into a puddle, and he took his Ferragamos off, and he walked away because they got wet. They weren't worth wearing anymore. You know, and they, and they, and they, and they, 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 they primp and they, and they posture and, and, you know, for the camera. I'm ready for my close-up, Mr. DeMille. Uh, and, and we ooh and awe over them because they have all this wealth and all this influence. And we think, well, that's wealth. We don't have wealth. 
And then, yes, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right, the, the, the professional athletes who are paid obscene amounts of money to play a game. And you know what? We're, we're, <laughs> we're fans. We're fans. You know, I record the games, and we watch them through the week. And last night, Jody and I finished the game between the Cleveland Browns and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know if you saw that game. Uh, 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 Jody has become a big Mahomes fan. She just thinks he, she, he's, he's, her, he's her boy. Uh, and, uh, but I'll tell you what, you watch the guy play, oh my gosh, he's doing stuff that can't humanly be possibly be done. How does he do it? I mean, he's just, uh, the, the guy is absolutely amazing. But is it worth Millions and millions and millions of dollars a year? That's wealthy. I'm not wealthy. I don't have, I don't have that kind of wealth. See, we, we want to, we want to, we, those are the ones we want to shake a, shake a finger at. You know, as our government is getting ready to, to pass a $3.1 trillion uh, 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 spending bill, or at least one part of the House is, uh, and the solution is to tax the rich. You know what my fear is? That if that bill goes through, we're going to find out that we're all rich. So, so, I mean, it's perspective, folks. It's perspective. But before we can honestly take a look at what James is trying to tell us here, we need to ask ourselves, is he talking to us? Is, first off, is James saying that wealth is wrong? And no, he's not. Thank you. He is not saying that wealth is wrong. But he is challenging us how we use our wealth. How we use our wealth. That's the key. Now listen, you rich people. Now it's all of us. We're included. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted. Moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. I'm wondering if he's thinking about the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. And where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, 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 the sentence that just jumps off of the page at me in this passage uh, uh, is, is the end of verse 3. You have hoarded your wealth in the last days. You've hoarded your wealth in the last days. What do we do with our wealth. Are we being good stewards of what God has given to us? And that's a question. This is a deep dive question, people, because only you can answer that. Because I don't, I don't know what's in your bank account. I don't know the gifts and the talents that God has given to you. And, and, and some of you don't believe this, but I, I also don't know what anybody gives to Grand Memorial. Uh, not that I haven't tried. I asked the leadership one time. I said, I need access. And they said, why do you need access to know what people give? I said, well, there's a couple of things. If somebody's giving at a level here, and all of a sudden they're giving at a level down here, 
maybe something happened in their life, and I'd, I'd like to be able to come alongside and say, I, I notice that there's a change. I just want to make sure that everything is okay. That would be helpful for me to know that. Or, or, or in, in the past, it's happened that someone has given a large gift to Grand Memorial, and I haven't known about it. And, and, and then they come up to me and they say, I gave a large gift to Grand Memorial, and nobody said thank you which is a euphemism for, Pastor, you didn't say thank you. And I said, I'm sorry, I didn't know. Thank you. <laughs> so so I, I, they, and they said, well, you know, you make some really good points. No. <laughs> so I don't know. And that's fine. I, I, I don't need to know. So as we, as we, as we wrestle with this question, uh, are, are we hoarding our wealth? That is a question that only each, each individual can, can really drill down and, and answer. And, and, it, and I think it comes down to how much is enough? How much is enough? And, and that's a question that I've been asking a long time. You know, we have an endowment here at Grand Memorial, and I'm very grateful that we have an endowment. It spins off the most of the money that it spins off every year. We, we, we give the mission. We keep a portion of it for unbudgeted expenses here on the property. So, the, 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 you know, the favorite uh, uh, line of a pastor who says, speaking of good news and bad news, uh, I've, got, uh, I've, got, I've got bad news, good news, and bad news. And the congregation is all ears. The bad news is the church needs a new roof. The good news is we have the money to pay for that new roof. The bad news is that money is still in your pockets. We don't have to do that. I've never had to do that at Grand Memorial because of the endowment. It's great. And I'll tell you what, I was so grateful for the endowment. Do you know that it is not... The last time we passed an offering plate in this sanctuary was March 15th, 2020. March 17th, they shut us down. And even now, as we're coming back, we're still not quite comfortable passing stuff around. So we had no idea how we were going to get through 2020. We made it through. Thank you, Lord. But then we got to talking about 2021. And we do this stewardship drive, and we send out, uh, we send out these, these letters, and we ask people to support and encourage the church. And we entered this year with a $300,000 deficit. How are we going to do this? Now, I got to tell you, you have been amazing. And God has been incredibly faithful because here we are closing in on the third quarter of the year and we're not in the red. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? This endowment is there for a rainy day. If we find ourselves going into the red, that's where we're going to draw from. So I'm not going to have money in a, sitting around in an endowment for youth ministries while we, while we dis, stop doing youth ministries. We're not going to have money sitting around in children's ministries uh, 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 that's been endowed and not do children's ministries anymore. If we go down, we're going down swinging. So I'm grateful. I'm grateful for all of that. And now as we, as we look for, toward the, the 20, here we are. We're in the season where uh, if, you are, uh, if you've been here and you've given uh, over $100 in the last calendar year to Grand Memorial, in the next uh, week or so, you're going to get a letter from me. And I feel a little self-serving in all of that because I recognize that your tithes and offerings pay my salary. Thank you. 
But it comes back to the individual and what we're doing with the gifts that God has given to us. Do we just store it up? How much is enough? Rockefeller, at the time, the richest person in the world was asked, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. How much is enough? I remember when I first got here, I was actually I was being interviewed for the job. And I, and I asked, they said, do you have any questions for us? And I said, yeah, I have some questions for, for you. Tell me about your mission budget. Because I think missions is near and dear to God's heart. And, this, and, and, and one of the people on the committee said, well, why do we need to increase our, our, our mission giving? Everything here is paid for. And then one of the other committee members stepped in and said, I don't think that's what he's asking. They hired me anyway. Thank you. Uh, you know, working with the endowment. So we have an endowment. How do I come and say, hey, I would love you to you know, jump in on the stewardship campaign for the coming year uh, when we're sitting on an endowment? How much is enough? It's nice to have in case of emergency. If it rains, we've got it there. Yay. So I recognize all this. Is tough. This, this is, these are tough conversations for us as a church to have, but I think they're also tough conversations for us to have with ourselves. James goes on. He says, they're corrosion. They'll, they'll testify against you. You're not using it. You're hoarding it. He says, look at the wages that you fade to, failed to pay the workers who've mowed your fields and are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters are, have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. That, that is not a veiled reference to one of the very first uh, uh, sins in the Bible. Uh, I mean, it is a direct reference to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, you know, you know the story. Uh, uh, and uh, after Cain kills his brother, God comes along and says, Cain, where's your brother? And he says, well, uh, am I my brother's keeper? Well, as a matter of fact, you are. Oh, by the way, the, the blood of your brother is, is crying out and it's reaching the Lord. God entrusts us with time, and our time is limited, and there's not one of us that knows how much time we have. God entrusts us with some talent. God entrusts us with treasure. What do we do with those things? And again, I don't, I don't know what your situation is. Only you do. You need to take responsibility as you look at this. Are you hoarding your wealth or are you using it for the glory of God? You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter and condemned and murdered innocent people who are not opposing you. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not murdering innocent people. But if I'm not being a good steward of what God has given to me, then I am hurting innocent people. I am my brother's keeper. These are questions that we need to wrestle with and, and ultimately answer. I, I mean, I've heard some great ones over the years. Uh, uh, when we, you know, we, and and we, we talk about our finances and our, and our, and our wealth. It's like, well... Uh, and you, and you talk about the tithe, the 
And, and I, I remember hearing a guy saying, never preach tithing, Pastor, never preach tithing. This 10% thing has is, is, is got to go. But I, had, I got to tell you some funny stories about my early days here at Grand Memorial. Here, let's do this. Let's set out a budget, and then we've got 300 members. We'll take the budget, we'll divide it by 300 members, and we'll send each member a bill. And that'll be their tithe for the year. I said, no, that's not a tithe. That's a bill. And besides, somebody that's making $30,000 a year and another person's making $300,000 a year, you send them both the same bill? Uh-uh. That doesn't work that way. That's the genius of a percent. Because a, a 10% is going to hit somebody that makes $30,000 a year the same as it's going to hit somebody that makes $300,000 a year. Well, probably not quite. But you know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. This one, this one guy says, don't ever preach tithing because you preach tithing and you set it up as a, as a legalistic statistic. And it becomes about legalism. He says, don't ever pay a tithe. Do 9% or 11%. But don't let it become legalistic for you. These are the questions that we have to ask ourselves. And these are the questions that I have to ask you as a congregation as we start thinking about the budgets for next year. And in the next week or so, you get that letter and say, okay, well, where's, where's my response going to be to Grand Memorial for the year to come? My hope is that you'll do a little deeper dive than that. And you'll ask yourselves, what am I doing with the resources that God has given to me? And how am I being a responsible steward? Am I being a responsible steward? Or am I hoarding what God has provided? There's this, and I'm almost done. Give me just a couple more minutes. There's this, there's this real tenuous, you see, this is one of those times where uh, uh, I would rather have you up here and, than, and be out there. And you're probably thinking right now that you'd rather be out there. Um, uh, but there's this real tenuous balance between, between want and need. What we want versus what we need. And as I was wrestling with this this past week, it kind of came to me. All I want is to trust God for all I need. All I want is to trust God for all I need. How are you doing on that, Pastor? I'm working on it. And I hope you're working on it too. As we do those deep dives and ask ourselves, am I a hoarder? Or am I using the gifts, the talents, and the treasures that God has given to me to fully live into his kingdom day by day. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. I once cried because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. I don't know how well you know the Helen Keller story. Little girl born uh, deaf and blind. And, uh, and, and finally, the parents 
hired uh, Ann Sullivan to come into their home and help them with this with this child. And in in the uh, in the movie, there's a very compelling scene uh, when Ann first enters into their household, and they're sitting around the table and they're having dinner, and uh, and Helen is just walking around the table, just grabbing food off of people's plates and shoving it in their mouths. And Ann Sullivan is appalled. Nobody bats an eye. Nobody says anything. Uh, and then Helen comes up to Ann's plate and reaches to grab some food off of her plate. And Ann slaps her hand. Uh, and there's a fight that breaks out between, uh, between Anne and Helen, and the, and, the, and the parents are just appalled because they had become so used to the way things are. They failed to realize and, 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 and recognize that there was value in their midst until Anne came along and did the uncomfortable thing and challenged their presuppositions. And thanks to her courage, we now know of the great worth and value of someone like Helen Keller. You know, there's a little bit of blindness and, and deafness in all of our lives. And we come so accustomed to our lives and the choices that we make uh, that every now and then we need to have uh, uh, an Ann Sullivan slap our hands. And that's what James does for us as we take a hard look at what we're doing with our wealth. Because we are wealthy. Let us give thanks, but let us also be good stewards and use that wealth, not hoard it, but use it to live faithfully into the kingdom of God day by day.